Hello and welcome to season three of Crutchfield the podcast. We are back, so back. Eric, how are you? Better than I deserve, sir. How are you? I am fantastic. Great. I've had, we've had a great off season. Yeah, busy, but yeah, off season as far as podcasting goes. We yeah, I've been we've been recording interviews with people yep. and preparing for this season of the show. Absolutely, that's been exciting. We've also been doing a lot more Crutchfield Live on Facebook and YouTube, mm-hmm. and so that's become a very regular thing. And we've actually been taking those and turning them into podcast episodes, bonus content. Yeah. I think that's a great plan. We did one of those shows where we talked about OLEDs versus LED TVs, mm-hmm. yep. uh, and that is actually our most listened to episode of our podcast. Did you know that? Wow. I did yeah. not know that. A wow. Thing, a okay. thing we did without even thinking of it as a podcast, <laughs> but we were like, hey, that was good content. Let's make a podcast out of it. Yeah. Our most listened wait, to wait, podcast. Wait, wait, am, am I in that one at all? I think do I do so. an intro at least? Oh, you're probably no, part of it. I was supposed to be on that Crutchfield Live, but I think I had a previous commitment and Francis stood in, did a great job. Oh, Francis that's is right. amazing. So that, hmm. Hmm. I wonder if that says so something. the the one without Eric, <laughs> our most listened to episode. Uh, <laughs> thank you, listeners. Hey, why are we here today? Why are we here <laughs> today? We are going to be featuring an interview I did uh, several months ago with Charlie Pasterfield. Mm. That name rings a bell for yeah, you. Yeah, it does. Charlie's awesome. He's a uh, a musician. He's a writer for us. That's his, I guess, his day job. Uh, he's in charge of uh, a lot of our presentation on our website. He's uh, he's an all around awesome dude who uh, I've known for quite some time. I, and I understand you've known him for quite some time here. Do you guys ever play in the same band? You guys have ever jammed together? We never jammed together. I would like to. uh, I mean, he's sort of iconic in the Charlottesville music scene. He's been in many bands. He used to be back in the heyday in the 70s uh, playing frat parties at UVA, Mm -hmm. uh, some raucous parties. uh, He was actually featured in a documentary about the music scene in Charlottesville in the 70s and 80s. But yeah, he's sort of synonymous with Charlottesville's music scene. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you, uh, he was in a band that was. Uh, I think they toured regularly. They was, it was called Skip Castro. If you want to check out Skip Castro, there'll be a link to that band's website. We have featured him in videos here at Crutchfield. We've yeah. got one uh, where we took a video of him. Our video department went to his house and sat down in his uh, listening room. It's where he plays guitar at the house uh, and interviewed him there. We talked to him about his guitar that he had made out of uh, a tree that Thomas Jefferson planted at oh, UVA. Yeah. Yep. Right. So he's got the one and only guitar made out of that kind of that, that wood from that tree. Mm-hmm. When I met him, uh, it was when I started at Crutchfield, he was a sales advisor. Okay. So simply a guy taking calls like anybody else. uh, That was like five or six years ago, right? That was 1996 is when I met him. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) So So a little long. I don't know if we want to date, you know, timestamp this uh, episode, but that that was longer than five years ago. Sure. I just celebrated my 25th anniversary (laughs) at Crutchfield. Congratulations on not getting fired for 25 years. I'm in my 26th year. (laughs) At Grutchfield. Well done. And uh, Charlie's been here longer than that. Uh, he is now, uh, let's see, what is his title? Currently, Charlie is our senior managing editor of Mobile Electronics. There you go. He's, Mobile Electronics, kind of a big deal here at Crutchfield. Yeah, kind of uh, our bread and butter. You know, yeah. The thing that whole started it all with Bill back in the 70s <laughs> right. is mobile audio, mobile uh, mobile electronics. and The category that has allowed us to venture into other categories. Yeah, so he's really part of the team kind of steering the ship 
uh, on the experience for our car audio video shoppers. Yeah. So uh, he plays a large role in what that looks like. Like mm-hmm. when you go to the website and you enter your car's information into the website and we try to show you what speakers fit and what mm-hmm. radios fit and we yep. try to recommend the right speakers and radios and stuff like that for you. He is a major player in what that looks and feels like. Yeah. He has an eye for detail and he cares passionately that this website is easy to use, mm-hmm. uh, is effective, and that the end result is that people have better sound in their car. Right. That's what he does. Yeah. On top of that, I think he's one of the few folks that I would classify as a resident audiophile. Now, the thing I think is interesting is I don't think he would consider himself an audiophile, but that's not really for him to decide. It's our podcast. That's right. So uh, I can tell you from talking to him, and you've heard the interview yeah, now. Yeah, he, he sounds like an audiophile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think when people, uh, folks that are in the industry, you know, we always know someone that might be in the gear more than us that we would hate to hear identify, you know, us identify ourselves to as an audiophile. So to them, we might not be. But come on, Charlie. 99.9% of people out there are going to consider you an audiophile. You're going to hear Charlie talk about how he uh, chose to buy the speakers that he has in his house, how he chose the turntable, how he chose his speaker wire. Right. Uh, and I think it will become clear to you that Charlie is in a different place than most of us humans <laughs> that like to listen to music. I am not an audiophile. I do not require the level of uh, supreme quality Mm -hmm. that Charlie is experiencing on a daily basis at his house. Do you think uh, a neighbor or a friend or a family member of yours would, if you gave them the description of an audiophile, maybe they haven't even heard of an audiophile, but if you read them a description of an audiophile, would they consider you one? Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it's in the eye of the beholder, right? My my girlfriend recently (laughs) called me a TV snob. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Because I don't want it to look like a damn soap opera. (laughs) Right. Right. What settings? No, those are optional. Yeah. Because no, I, totally because I don't want to listen to the TV's speakers. Right. That made me a TV snob for yeah. my girlfriend. So, yeah, though, no, there's absolutely it's all about perspective right. for sure. And if you enjoy talk of high end listening, like really top notch equipment, audio gear and the experience of doing some critical listening. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about that for a second, because Charlie does a lot of this. Right. Right. Yeah. There's the, what the description I would use when talking to a customer is, do you make time to listen to music? Because that's different than having music on, you know, I'm doing chores around the house, cooking dinner, things like that, you know, and, and often I'll have music in the background. Yeah. And that is a much different experience than sitting down, you know, dropping a needle on an album and enjoying the music and listening for the fine details and noticing, mm-hmm. you know, when I make an upgrade, oh my goodness, that that little sound that resonates a little better. And and he's that type of person. You know, he takes the time to listen to music critically. He's paying attention to the he, little he's stuff. He's not reading a book, he's not looking at his phone. He's no. literally doing nothing but paying attention to the sounds coming at him from mm-hmm. these speakers and, and as a musician what an interesting perspective to to be into that yeah from. like yeah a really cool guy to talk to so if you're into that yeah. i think you're going to be into this interview now eric and i are going to break in a few times just to make sure everybody's up to speed on some of the things that come up in this interview uh, but we're going to let this thing roll we'll be back after we're uh, after we're done listening to this interview with charlie pasterfield What's going on here? 
Well, a friend of mine, uh, Bill Record, owned these speakers, and he passed away a couple of years ago. And his best friend Carl came down to uh, put a home theater system together for his wife. And he called me up and said, "Hey, Bill's got these speakers here. Would you be interested in trying them out?" And I said, "Yeah, I really would." So I went out there. We carried these. Each weighs 120 some pounds. Oh my! Carried them up a flight of stairs. Almost died. <laughs> and uh, got them in here. And Carl, who is a high-end audio guy, you know, yeah, spent two and a half hours positioning them. And uh, then he said, "Okay, I'm happy now. Why don't you come down and, and check it out?" And I put on a piece of music that I know really well, and it was like I was hearing it for the first time. It sounded so completely different than what I was used to. And when, when you hear them later, you'll see what I mean. Yeah, we're gonna do yeah. some listening here today, yeah. I hope. Uh, you know, I was watching the video that the guys did here at your house uh, when you set up your NAD system and your Lin Deck turntable, and you explained then uh, how you would listen to something and it was like hearing it for the first time again. And you just described that here. And you've been a musician, you've been listening to music. Music has been a part of your life ever uh, always, right? Yeah. How many times has that happened where you've had that, uh, it's like I'm hearing this song I know for the first time because of the speakers, the amplifier, the phono preamp, the new piece of vinyl. Like, It doesn't happen every time I make an upgrade. Yeah. But it happens often when I make an upgrade. And I've got good friends who come over here, um, a lot of whom used to work for Crutchfield, and they'll sit down and listen for a while, and I call them my audio detectives, and then look mm -hmm. it up and they'll get flashlights out and poke around behind and go, why have you connected this like this? Have you thought about using one of these cables? Have you ch they bring stuff with them and they switch it out to show me, and yeah. you know, whenever they leave, my system sounds better. <laughs> and usually the next day I come down and I go, wow, you know, while it's going on, you don't know, but the next day, that's when you go, wow, they really changed my system. And, and so that's when you hear things that you haven't heard before. Little things can make big differences, yeah. right? I mean, you were describing in that video about just the, the you know, subtle differences in speaker positioning and how important that can be for a proper stereo image and stuff like that. That's hugely, hugely important. And the amazing thing is not every speaker like you get one set of speakers in your room and you find the perfect spot and then you're auditioning another set of speakers that same spot is not the perfect spot for those you got it you know you've got to fool with it every time and with spikes and carpet that's not always an easy thing to do yeah you know, yeah like, yeah take some serious work so what are these speakers they're called metaphor twos and they were um made i guess in the early 90s this, these are the prototypes. Uh, this guy, Carl, who brought them over and set them up, was one of the people who had the company that designed and built these. They designed these speakers and built the original version, took them to a trade show, and were really excited at the positive response they got. Mm. But the guy, the main guy in this company, Bill, said, yeah, we're 90% of the way there. That's the easy part. It's the next 10% getting to perfection. That's the tough part. And it was three and a half years oh, wow. it took them. And that's working four days, four nights a week after work mm -hmm. until three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, on and on, trying different drivers. Those are all Focal drivers in there, but they've modified every one of them and used some goop on them and done all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Know? They just don't sound like any speakers I've ever heard. They're, 
you put on a live record in particular, and it, normally when I put on a live album, it takes some relaxation before my mind goes, okay, I'm at a live show. Right. These, it's 40 seconds, and you're just going, wow, because it's so lively. And I think one of the reasons is, and I don't, I don't know if I've ever had a set of speakers, the mid-range drivers are ported on the back. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so it drives some of the mid-range out against the wall yeah. and into the room. Yeah, that's and, unusual. Yeah, yeah. And Carl said they tr tried it, liked the way it sounded, but then said, well, let's do a sanity check here, sealed it back up again, and said, oh, it's way better with those ports there. And I have to agree. I, I, you know, it's a... It's a it's a different sound, but it's really lush, and you know those speakers are relatively close together for what I usually do, mm -hmm. and and uh, they throw way out that way and way high. They're shocking how up high they go too. Probably because of that angle. And maybe I so. I, yeah. I haven't figured it out, but is uh, is sitting down and listening to music a thing you do pretty regularly? Three, four nights a week. Yeah. Uh, my wife's a school teacher. She's in bed at quarter of eight without fail. And I'm wide awake at quarter of eight. So I usually come down and listen till 11 or 11.30. Yeah. And, you know, a new record is a wonderful thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, you know, that turntable got me through this pandemic because I wasn't playing gigs and... Ordinarily, I think I would have gotten a little nutty, but just being able to listen to music at that level of, of sound quality really got me through this time, you know. Uh, yeah. And, you know, an another thing, and I, people think I'm exaggerating when I say this, but listening to a lot of music, I'm convinced, triggers something in your brain. Because I was in a songwriting, not a writer's block, but I was just sort of cranking out a song every five or six months or something like that. And, sure. And once we hit the pandemic and I was listening to three, four hours of music a night, three or four days a week, I started writing songs at a much faster rate, you know, and, and I'm, I'm glad of that. How did it change your writing? Did you get happier? Did you get darker? Like, I paid more attention to the lyrics. Yeah. I, normally I write the chord pattern and then I write the words to fit the chord pattern. And now I'll think of... I'll wake up in the middle of the night and I'll think of an entire verse of a song and I'll come down and grab a guitar and I'll write the music to go to the verse of the song and write it, but record it on my Radio Shack cassette recorder. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's still how you record yes. your, your thoughts and demos and yes. stuff? Yeah. Oh, wow. I haven't quite figured the phone out yet. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, you're carrying around a pretty good recording device everywhere you go. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> but the Radio Shack, it's got that vintage sound. You know? That's right. <laughs> Uh, I say that assuming. I assume you have a smartphone. For all I know, you've got a flip phone. I do have a smartphone, and I've never taken a picture with it. I, I've probably used three features in it since I got it four <laughs> years ago. You know? So it's. Did you get it in, under protest? Or my you daughters forced me to get yeah. one. Yeah. 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 So uh, I was looking at that video again, and I saw your in your rack of equipment at that time. You had NAD. Yeah. And uh, you've—I don't see any NAD over here anymore. Well, you know, the whole thing started. My whole—I I was never a, an audio person, like as far as home audio goes. Uh, and in fact, 
I kind of openly made fun of my friends who were, you know, had really expensive home audio systems. Like, yeah. But I was over in our employee shop one day looking for a set of car speakers, and uh, Dave Hall says, uh, so what, what are you looking for? And I said, well, what I'm looking for is a nice set of home speakers. And Simon says, <clears throat> points over to the corner, and there's two gigantic cardboard boxes. Mm. And it was a set of Polk LSI 25s that they just found in the warehouse that they didn't even know we had. Okay. And so I picked them up for not much money and brought them home. And I'd never heard those speakers, but as soon as I hooked them up, I realized that I was hearing something that I hadn't heard before, you know? Yeah. Big speakers, really nice drivers, and powered subs built into them. So uh, I realized my little Sony, you know, $129 receiver was not probably the greatest choice for powering them. So I went back a couple of days later, and, and Dave said, you know, we just got an NAD reading here somewhere, and oh. bought that, took it home. And uh, as soon as I hooked that up, I went, wow. So then I got a better CD player. <laughs> and I got a turntable. I hadn't had a turntable in 20 years, I bet. And did you have this? I mean, you got a pretty huge pile of records here. Did you have records and just no way to play them? Yeah. 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 I'd, as soon as I heard CDs, I went, that's for me, you know? And I, sure. I, didn't, I sold a few of my records, but not much. But, um, and I'm not a, you know, I, I listen to vinyl most of the time now, but I still love CDs. I don't have a thing like some people do, you know? You're not like analog only. No, no. Um, and in fact, my friend Bill gave me a couple of thumb drives filled with DSD files, yeah. high-res files of records that I know pretty well. And yeah, you know that's that's some serious stuff right there. And that's that's the next frontier for me. Have you been able to do a test where you listen to the same song in a very high-res digital way compared to a very nice uh, analog vinyl experience? Yes, I have. What um, for you? What's the difference? I. I actually preferred the di the digital file. It was um, Asia, okay, the, the Steely Dan album, you know, and and I, the one thing about the vinyl copy was that it it the bass is a little more profound, you know, it's a little bit fatter and mm -hmm. real sounding, but past that, no comparison, you know, like the digital file had a had a lot of stuff going on that you don't hear in the vinyl I didn't hear anyway so like precision and detail and a detail yeah. yeah a lot of stuff that I that I'd never heard before right yeah we got a theme happening yeah. already so let's talk about what Charlie likes to listen to he seems to have uh, an eclectic taste in music mm -hmm. and uh, it sounds to me like when he's really trying to put something to the test or really do a a test listen to really hear the detail hear things he goes to music he knows he loves he knows it was recorded well uh, he knows what he's gonna get out of it and he's heard it thousands and thousands of times on different systems so playing some Steely Dan he is confident he's going to be able to tell how good his system sounds. Would you agree with that? Yeah, this is one of those times that I wish this wasn't a podcast, that this was actually for YouTube, because I wish the viewers could could understand the the, the stare, the, the, the eyes that I'm, I'm giving you right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know my feeling on Steely Dan. Uh, really, no offense to them. And I understand a lot of folks out there. I don't even know if I'm answering your question, but I know it's about Steely Dan and it's just totally just taking my train of thought and making me have to tell the story. And uh, however many times he's listened to Steely Dan, Steely Dan, I assure you 
that I've listened to Steely Dan more. Really? And yeah. And and so you're a big fan. During the course of one year of my life, <laughs> I listened to Steely Dan more. Was uh, this during your time <laughs> working in retail? Yeah, this was a previous uh, play. I used to work for Tweeter. Uh, audio, video, and a boatload of know-how. That was their uh, motto. They are no longer in business. Um, but it was a good company in the industry for uh, many a year. And uh, we had, I think, a steely dan live dvd playing on what i believe was a mm. bose 321 system just some small little audio set up up at the front of the store near our registers and it was on a loop and it played <laughs> non-stop for over a year of my life i got that for like eight hours a day and i don't care what the song is what uh, song was it? Was it, I, it was a bunch I, no. of songs? Yeah, it was, yeah, it was the which whole CD. I, no, no. I, I, I've chosen ever since then. You know, you go through one December in retail and electronics where you're working those extra hours and this is just playing. You know, I would have loved some, some you know, Christmas rapping or some Jingle Bell Rock or some other type of song in the background. But no, we did Steely Dan nonstop. I love how we're just sort of reeling in the years here. Yeah, yeah. But it reminded me of a quote from 40-year-old Virgin. Oh. Yeah, you remember that? It was about a consumer electronics retail. It was about a bunch of things, but it was based in It was based in like a Circuit City type of store. So Paul Rudd's character in there, before Paul Rudd like became, you know, Ant-Man, right? Right. Paul Rudd said, uh, if I hear Yama going to be there one more time, I'm a Yama going to burn this place down. And that's exactly how I felt about Steely Dan. I love, I love that quote. Do it again. <laughs> Do it again. If I hear Yama going to be there, I don't think I said that right. If I hear Yama be there one more time, I'm going to Yama burn this place to the ground. That's the quote. How old were you when this happened? To, hey, 19? When, when that movie came out or when I worked at retail? <laughs> it sounds like a lot of dirty work you were into back then. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I'm i trying not to date myself. You're older than I am. But yeah, it was a while ago. I was fresh out of college and uh, you know living the dream, but not loving Steely Dan. I'm sorry. So it's not because <laughs> of the quality of Steely Dan's music or recordings. Like You can probably agree mm. that there's a reason Charlie likes to listen to, their, to Steely Dan, but you just can't stand him because you've been overexposed. Yeah, you could put it that way. Do you know how many Steely Dan song titles I just dropped on you without you seeming to re recognize any of them? You just did to me what I normally do to you. I am so excited That's that right. you didn't pick oh, up on wow. any of them. Wow. You uh, know, I, I just can't. I've got like this spot and I need to warm up to them because yeah. I feel like this has kind of become a me thing more than a them thing. Yeah. Um, I can't blame the company anymore because they're not around. So. I maybe I need to open myself up to listen to a little bit more uh, of their music or at least give them a chance from a different perspective. And um, maybe someday I'll get there. So the uh, NAD stuff is gone and the my e daughter has that. I was going to ask, where, <laughs> is it somewhere else in the house? Yeah, well, she's yeah, she's had it at college and it's packed away here somewhere. The typical college student's sound system is like a boombox or a Bluetooth speaker or something. Yeah, and that was what my oldest daughter had. But my youngest... She is a musician too. She sings and she writes songs, and awesome. she's a good performer. And uh, she, unlike my oldest daughter, would actually come down and listen to records with me at night. Yeah. And then she started going like, "Well, I wish I had a system like this." So I surprised her one Christmas, you know. And and it's, she uses it. You know, she plays records a lot. So oh, that's awesome. Makes me makes me happy. So and in place of the NADs, you have uh, some ELAC equipment, huh? 
Yeah, when um, when Elac came that t- when Andrew Jones came that time with Peter Madnick, who did who was the guy who did uh, Audio Alchemy, the company in the nineties. Yeah, they demonstrated the uh, their preamp and amplifier. The and Elac, I guess, had bought Audio Alchemy by then, so it was Elac Alchemy, and um, and that demonstration was, I think, one of the most impressive things I've ever heard in all the training sessions that I've done. Mm. Uh, and that's saying something. You've been at Crutchfield for almost 30 years? 26 years. 26. Yeah. Andrew Jones. That's a name we hear a, a lot around here, right? We have heard it quite a bit, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He used to work at Kef. He worked at Infinity. He's worked at Pioneer. Yeah. Most recently, he worked at ELAC. Yeah. The and first time I heard his name, he was associated with some speakers that we had. All of a sudden, Pioneer was coming back with some really good home speakers, and they had his name on the back of them. And he's known for designing some great-sounding speakers that are more affordable, right? They're mm-hmm. on the affordable end of the audiophile world. And if you are invested in the whole audiophile experience, high-end speakers, you've probably heard of Andrew Jones. Mm-hmm. If you haven't heard of Andrew Jones, we just thought you might like some some context yeah. for who that is. Yeah, he worked for ELAC for a number of years. We loved that relationship because we actually got to meet him here. He loved to come to Crutchfield and present, which was really, really cool where we could ask the actual designer of the speakers particular question. Why did you decide to go this way? Why did you make this decision? And he was really upfront and honest about with with all those answers. Really, really fun uh, presenter. Companies come here all the time to do training, but they don't usually send the designer. They usually send the guy who does training. Yeah. Right. But to be actually be able to talk to the person who decided the cabinet should be shaped that way and the Mm -hmm. driver should be mounted that way. And why, uh, and in that cool accent that he yeah. had. Uh, so yeah, uh, we are eager to see where he pops up next, what his next big project is. Whatever you're doing, Andrew Jones, we wish you well. Uh, so we've got here the Elac Alchemy Series DPA2. That's the uh, stereo power amp you're yep. using, which is 210 watts a channel, I think, and it's a it's a Class D amp. And you know, I got it. My my rule of thumb is don't ever make a decision until a week, at least a week has gone by, and sometimes even a month. Sure. If you can. And so I got that, and I plugged it in, turned it on. I was expecting this huge jump in sound quality, but it wasn't a big jump, really. And so after a few days of disappointment, I borrowed an Anthem Class AB amp, a big horse of an amp that's like... 65 pounds or something like that Yeah, from uh, from our lend- lending library, brought it home, hooked it up, ran it for a couple of days, and then did a switch between the two, you know, like, and and listened, and I thought, yeah, the Anthem definitely sounds better than the ELAC. I, so I, I, I screwed up. You know, I should have bought the other the other thing. But I kept on playing them both, because that's my rule. I keep, keep on going, and after about another week, all of a sudden the ELAC started going like, Oh, this is a competition. I get it. And, it, and it just upped its game over the course of a week so that finally I thought, okay, I, I like it better than the Anthem. So the amplifier sort of had a break-in period? Yeah, it did. I don't know if it's just what you'd call it, a break-in or a warm-up since there's a... Well, yeah, it's probably a break-in period. So you can't listen to Charlie talk without thinking about break-in periods, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you hear that mentioned on speakers, for sure, 
uh, speakers having a break-in period. Uh, it sounds to me like Charlie is experiencing a break-in period with more than just speakers. What What are your thoughts on this, Eric? I see the look <laughs> on your face. What do, What uh, do you want to say here? So, so if a manufacturer is recommending a break-in period on their speakers, yeah, then 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 I'll defer to them, right? Uh, speakers uh, have moving parts, right? right? Mm -hmm. And they might ship from the factory a little stiffer mm -hmm. than they are designed to, to be when they're fully operational. Right. And so getting them moving, kind of like the break-in period of a car, sure. right? Sure. Go a couple hundred miles before you go full out on the throttle. Sure. Uh, speakers, that makes sense to do that. Right. I get that. Yeah. I, I'll just say it this way, and here's your disclaimer. You know, in my experience, the bigger... Uh, part of that is, you know, when someone's adding something new to their system, there's a period there where they're still listening for their old stuff, for better, or for worse. They're listening for those old speakers. And it takes a little while for us to disconnect from that experience to allow the new experience to happen. Yeah. And that takes time. So in some ways, the break in period is not only beneficial for the speakers themselves, but also for the listener. I've absolutely heard it described uh, that the break-in period is as much for the gear mm -hmm. as it is for your ears and your brain. Right. Uh, and so this is not in any way to say that it's not a real thing. Right. It is a real thing. But is it, so, is it an actual change in performance by the stuff, or is it a change in how you're perceiving or receiving Maybe a little the both. performance? And it probably yeah. is something uh, somewhere in the middle, and it's a little bit of both of those. Right. So then my friends came over. I told my audio detective friends, yeah, and they saw that I was using Crutchfield 14 gauge speaker wire, which is, <laughs> I think, perfectly great speaker wire. Sure. Right? And they said, "Oh no, 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 no! You know, you got to use better speaker wire." That was one of the questions I had written down to ask: is what wires are you using, and do you believe they make a difference? Well, um, the guy Carl who brought these speakers over ha owns a ca he makes cables, so he sent us out a cable sound. <laughs> And there's a bill in it that says $1,000, you know. Yeah. So I call up Bill and I go, man, you know, I love you, but I can't spend $1,000 on speaker cables. And he goes, oh, yeah, he shouldn't have put that receipt. You, it's 500 bucks. You get half price. And I said, well, really? <laughs> I said, still, 500 bucks for speaker cables? He goes, trust me on this. Do you hear a difference now? And I said, I hear a slight difference, not a $500 difference. He goes, within a month, you will call me and you'll... Call me in the middle of the night even and say, oh, my God. So it was about three weeks later. I'd come down the night before and played a new record that I had and listened to it intently. Yeah. Come down the next night, put on the same record because I had so much fun listening to it, and just total change. No kidding. Yeah. And and I, I called up Carl, and I said, wow, man, I'm totally blown away. You know, these cables really made a huge difference. I disconnected them and hooked in the Crutchfield cables again, and it's not my imagination, you know. Yeah. It's where before, at the beginning it was a slight difference. Now it's a huge difference, like much warmer sound, much more detailed sound, and bigger sound, really. So speaker wire. Yes. Let's talk wire. Yeah. Charlie is clearly invested now. This is the opposite of today's trends with wireless speakers. We'll right? never get, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll never get him back to just hooking up speakers with 
lamp just cord. some lamp cord, yeah, some right. twelve gauge wire, maybe, mm. uh, or if it's you, ten gauge wire. <laughs> right, right. His wire was definitely as thick as a garden hose. Like it looked that big. Like it could carry some signal right. the way a hose carries some water. Right. Uh, and so it is certainly the not. Is certainly not the weakest link in his system. Right. For me, it seems obvious that you need wire thick enough to carry the current from your amplifier to your speaker. Right. There needs to be enough copper in there. Right. For the power you've got, for the length of the wire. Right. That is an absolute necessity. Anything less than that, you're you've de- you're you're costing yourself fidelity. Right. Right. But to get thicker than that and to add special features, uh, like. What more? What, do you need more than that? Will it actually help? In Charlie's case, yes, absolutely. You need as much as you can get. He's got high performance gear all over the place. He's made su- small, subtle changes. We'll hear from him talking about placement of the speakers and how just little, uh, small uh, changes in the placement or the angle can make a huge difference in the difference in the sound field. In those cases, when you're at that level. High-end speaker wire, good speaker wire. Yes, thickness is part of it. But yeah, all of that is important. All of that is. And a big part of it, and this is not to say it's not absolutely true that it sounds better, but a big part of it is if you don't think it sounds good enough or if you think your system has a weak link and you don't fix it, that that is going to bother you. Absolutely. That is going to distract you from your critical listening. Right. Because you're going to be thinking there, sitting there thinking, man, this... Toots and the Maytals album could sound better. Right. And it doesn't because I cheaped out on the speaker wire. Right. Uh, And getting the right wire, uh, if you can afford it, obviously. Sure. He Now he doesn't have to worry about that. He knows he's got better wire than he could possibly need. And that's not a concern anymore. Right. He wants to get as close to 100% of the output coming from that amplifier to those speakers as he can get. And in order to do that, he needs the good stuff. Do you need to spend five hundred or a thousand dollars on speaker wire to have really good speaker wire? No, you don't. It no. needs to be thick enough to carry the current uh, as long as it needs to be carried. And uh, and you know we've got some decent speaker wire, so check that out. Yeah. Uh, if you want to eliminate any possibility of it being your weaker link, yeah, there's we, ways to upgrade. We carry some good stuff, absolutely. Yeah. I never would have thought. Speaker cables could make that much difference, but it was not. It was probably the biggest difference of anything I've done. No kidding. Yeah. Oh no, the Macintosh is the biggest difference. Uh, I, I was so happy to see the Macintosh when I walked in. What, what model Macintosh is that? Is that your? It's the, is that C, the preamp. Yeah, C forty seven preamp. And you know the guys at the employee shop, unfortunately, know me well. And <laughs> I walked in there one day to pay for some speakers that I'd bought. And as I walk in the door, they go, do not turn to your left. Do not turn to your left. So I turn, there's a big cardboard box that says Macintosh on it. I went, oh, no, no. So they said, uh, it's a preamp. So I bought it, brought it home, and it made a huge change in, this, in the sound of my system. Uh, and it's hard to put into words. Like, just running the cable. I have an Oppo disc player, you know, yeah. which is a real, got a great DAC in it. And... I've just been running RCA cables into my preamp. So that you could use the DAC in the oppo. Yeah. Yeah. So my friend said, try the the DAC in the Macintosh. I said, come on, really? You think so? He goes, give it a shot. Switch it over. I'm like, wow. 
All right, Eric, uh, what is an oppo? Oh, man, it's a sad story uh, for a lot of us here. Uh, it was a, an incredibly high-end, what I would call a disc spinner, uh, because it played you know, CDs, DVDs, Blu-rays, uh, at least the later models did, and it did it exceptionally well. And normally we would say, oh, this is a DVD player, and we would identify it as that. When I say it was a disc spinner, it was because it was the best at doing that. Um, it had a heck of a reputation for being both uh, a good video playback uh, platform and an audio playback platform with the emphasis on the audio. Audio for sure. And that's yeah. how Charlie's using the Oppo now. He's, he's using it for its audio capabilities, right. its ability to accurately, cleanly, perfectly spin a disc yeah. uh, and uh, output that sound untouched, unharmed, as pristine as possible into his audio gear. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to love the Oppo. We sold it as our best Blu-ray player. Uh, it had its own built-in D to A converters that even could be used for other... It had optical and coax digital inputs right so you could use the built-in DAC for other gear that didn't have as good a DAC right uh, and that's so, ba how, that's so how basically good it, was. it was a digital preamp yeah in that case right because you're actually using that as your switching device you know if if you're bringing external digital devices into it. it. It was known for having really, really good uh, Dolby digital uh, uh, surround sound processing mm -hmm. built in, yeah. decoding for that, so you could actually run out of analog outputs instead of a digital or HDMI output. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It yeah. was regarded as the best for a number of years yeah. from a brand nobody heard of, right. uh, at least in America, yeah. other than this this product. They yeah. had like a $500 model and they had like a $1,200 model. So they're still around a little bit, but they decided to get out of the disc spinner. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, like one day they just called us and said, we're not going to make that thing anymore. Yeah, that thing that you guys really, really love that we do the best of? Yeah. yeah we're just going to stop doing that. Yeah. So if you're looking for today's best Blu-ray player that we carry, it would be something like a Panasonic. It's very, you know, it's the modern yeah. day version of an Oppo. It's the DPUB 9000 P1K. Oh, okay. All right. It's quite the model number, but yeah. that would be the nearest and best thing to an Oppo if you were still looking for one. And there are people still looking for right. Oppos. So yeah. And from what I can tell, it, the the Panasonic model uh, is actually maybe even a little bit better on the video side. Right. It did make our best of 2022 article uh, for best DVD or Blu-ray yeah. players. So yeah, it's a, it's a pretty of, solid unit yeah, for it's a sure. Heck of a machine, absolutely. Uh, when I train sales advisors, uh, we to to talk about amplifier classes. I'll, I'll always, I'm always hoping that there's a guitar player in the class. Right, a serious guitar player, and usually we have one or two that are serious enough that can back me up when I say a guitar player's amp usually is a Class A amplifier, a tube amp, so, you know, one of those always on, really wastes away power as heat, like there's no tomorrow. Yeah, but you get that warm fuzziness that you just can't get any other way. And uh, so I presume you're like that as well. I mean, I see your room of guitars, I see all your amps. Are you the same way? Class A amps, tube amps for your guitar? They're all tube amps, yeah. Um, I have yet to find a transistor guitar amp that I can play, you know, live. But that's not true for bass amps. Like, I I, I have a, a really nice Ampeg tube bass amp, and I love the sound of it. But when I'm playing live, the transistor amps are so much faster. Like, mm. when you're playing a, a, a fast passage and... 
and you want enunciation and the notes to pop out as soon as you're playing, the transistor amp is just bam, 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 where the tube amp is, it's a, it's like a, working in mud slightly. Mm, it's okay. like a little, um, and like I say, the sound, awesome. In the studio, I'll always use the tube amp, but live, transistor amp. And, but just for bass, just, just for, for your bass. bass guitar. Yeah. Yeah. When you're playing uh, your Stratocaster or any of your other many guitars. Yeah, where, where you're relying on pleasing distortion, yeah. tubes just do it. And I don't think transistors do, personally. So Class A amps and Class D amps couldn't be further apart in how they do what they do. And Class D amps have come a, quite a long way, right? We've been selling them for cars, for car subwoofers. And yeah, at first they were really, you know, you can't use these for full range because they, 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 they weren't clear enough. They didn't have the, you know, their signal-to-noise ratio wasn't where it needed to be. Total harmonic distortion. But now, I mean, you're using a pretty beefy Class D amp and uh, to power some pretty beefy speakers. And you're pretty happy with it? I'm extremely happy. And... I think about four years ago, maybe four years ago, in Absolute Sound magazine, they reviewed a, a Class D amplifier and said, the days of dissing Class D are, are done because yeah. this thing is righteous. And um, uh, NAD, I think, was a big pioneer in that, you know, like, and still. The thing about transistor amps in general, whether they're Class AB or Class D, is that um, they're fast and and... What that'll do is, like a tube amp gives you a big, full sound and lots of atmosphere and detail, mm -hmm. but a, a transistor amplifier will give you speed. That, that speed makes you think that you're there. You know, It gives more of an illusion that you're at a show. Now, I'm saying this never having had a really great tube amp in my system. So. Sure. They're, they're yeah. pretty hard to find. Yeah, yeah. I've been really happy with that Elac stuff. And it's a preamp. I'm using too the Elac preamp, phono preamp, which is the same size as the amplifier. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> that strikes me as larger than it needs to be, whereas the amplifier is like that's surprisingly small. Yeah. Uh, and uh, but they complement each other. They look great together. Uh, and uh, and you have that phono preamp connected to the Lin Sondek. Yes. Yep. And I I did try the pr the phono preamp, and it's a very high quality preamp in the Macintosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. they're, they're known for having a pretty yeah. good phono preamp built, to, just like their DACs are pretty great. The uh, Lin turntable has a moving coil cartridge, and you have to adjust the load on that cartridge in the phono preamp. Uh, and the Macintosh has preset, like you can switch from 400 to 500 to five, 600, or, you know, it's got places you can put the thing. Yeah. This cartridge and these speakers and my whole system, it it likes right around 300 ohms or whatever the, imp the thing is down there, and uh, and the Macintosh doesn't give me that option. So uh, when we did that video with you here, uh, on, that where you we get to see this Lin Sondek turntable, you hadn't had it for long, I don't think, right? Like you had three years, I think now, something like that. Four. You've years, had maybe? it three years since, yeah. yeah so. Uh, so how how has that settled in for you? I mean, is that has that proven to be a wise purchase? I assume it wasn't a cheap purchase. Well, um, my friend Bill sold that brand new in 1984 to a guy in Northern Virginia. Yeah, and back then the basic um, LP12 turntable w was about two grand. 
but they gave you all kinds of options for upgrading it, which they still do. And so this guy, over the course of the 40-some years that he owned it, put, went to a separate power supply, the upgraded suspension, uh, the upgraded tone arm and cartridge, uh, silver wiring, you know, mm. like about $7,000 worth of upgrades. And then he retired and decided he was going to move to Florida. And he, the Lynn turntable, for all its wonderfulness, is a very delicate machine. You don't right. want to, if you, you just don't want to move it if you can avoid it. And even if you pick it up to take it to a repair thing, you've got to take it all apart and put in all these, tighten all oh, these wow. screws and stuff. You know, it's really a delicate thing. So my friend Bill called me up. He'd just been over literally the night before. I had a very nice project turntable there it was a you know debut carbon spray turntable mm -hmm. with an yeah. upgraded cartridge sounded great i was very happy and he calls the next day and he goes man i hate to do this to you but i got a turntable you ought to buy i go really i have a really nice turntable already he goes this is a really nice turntable and uh i said how much is he says 1400 bucks i was like oh my god you're kidding he said i if you trust me if there's ever any trust in your Part for me as a person just buy it you won't regret it it'll change your life yeah and that no more accurate words were never spoken let me that turntable got me through the the pandemic and it completely trans transformed my opinion of vinyl like vinyl through that thing is just a whole different league you know it's i, I don't know it's hard to describe but it's again the putting you in the feeling of being actually at a place where music is being played instead of listening to music. You yeah, know, that's, yeah. that's what I like to hear is that live thing going on. All right, so let's take a moment and talk about cartridges real quick. Yeah, Charlie mentioned he's got a moving coil cartridge on that Lin Sondek turntable. Mm -hmm. And for those of you that are vinyl enthusiasts, uh, you, you can just fast forward like 60 seconds because <laughs> you know everything I'm about to tell you. If this is new to you or if you're thinking of getting into vinyl, you should know that there are two types of cartridges on the end of the tone arm where the needle goes down into the groove that needle moves around based on the pits and the bumps in the groove and it's going to move something that creates electricity and it's either a moving magnet or it's a moving coil yeah, and that matters why moving magnets are uh, durable and good right mm -hmm. uh, moving coils are a little bit more sensitive mm. but you're going to get a little less voltage out of them so they they don't create as much electricity from that movement of the needle in the groove. So you need a special phono preamp that can take that very low level signal from your tone arm, from your cartridge, and amplify that so that the rest of your audio gear can work with that level of signal. And it's generally considered a better phono turntable or a cartridge. Mm -hmm. uh, also more finicky, harder to deal with, mm -hmm. and more expensive as well. But it sounded, I can tell you, I heard it at Charlie's house. That thing sounded amazing. Awesome. So does this experience of being able to listen to music like that, does it ruin you for listening to music in more convenient ways? Like if we go upstairs, do we find the ability to play music in every room of your house? Do you have Bluetooth speakers? Do you listen to music the way, you know, normal people listen to music? Or do you kind of have to listen to music like this? I will not listen to music on my phone, and I don't like headphones. 
Um, so I'm kind of doomed in that regard. But I have no problem listening to, like my daughter's system, sounds great to me. You sure. Know, um, but her system is <laughs> slightly above average. Even my other daughter's system, though, she's got like a, a I can't remember what it is. It's a nice Bluetooth speaker, you know, power okay. speaker. Um, I have no problem listening to music at that. Bo, Bo, my wife has a Bose um, sound touch or whatever it is. You know? Yep, yep. I think it sounds great. I, it's like drinking wine, you know. A $10 bottle of wine is awesome. A $200 bottle of wine is awesome. I can't tell the difference unless I drink them side by side. You know? Sure. It's, I think it's the same with sound systems, you know. Now, some people, their ears won't do that. You know, it's got to be a certain level. Or, or they'd rather not even listen. Exactly. But yeah. I'm not one of those. You know, I, I have no problem. It's easy to get into that. I've certainly, we've, I've, you know, as a sales advisor for many years, uh, I've certainly talked to many audiophiles. And there's plenty of people that it seems to them to be more about the gear and the system than it is about the actual music. And for you, it seems like you come at the... You know, you're approaching audiophile status. I'm looking at your gear here. This is, you know, entry-level audiophile. You know, you, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, you're, you're, you're moving into that, even though you never considered yourself an audiophile. But you're coming at it from the angle of being a musician first, which I think is a very different experience than being just someone who puts on a record and has only ever done that with music. I, I'm sure of that. And that's one of the reasons why I'm particularly impressed with these speakers and also the Imagine T3s that I have. The bass response is just so massive, and that's what it feels like right? when you're at a show yeah. or standing on stage. The primary thing you're experiencing is massive bass response. And when I hear little bookshelf speakers, except for some, um, you know, bookshelf speakers, if they don't have good low end, I, I just... You know, they don't really do it for me. So, yeah, let's talk about those. The ELAC Carina, the BS243.4s. Yeah. Uh, there's two pairs of massive speakers here in this room, and then this tiny little pair of bookshelves on a stand on stands. Are they, what are they being powered by? Are they coming off the same system? They're coming off a little Paradigm amp over there, that oh. the, the PW100, whatever okay. it was, you know, that. Um, and I first heard those at that same training where I heard the ELAC Alchemy stuff when Andrew Jones was showing off these Karina speakers that he designed. I got to see those Karinas when they released them at CES, uh, but I didn't get to hear them. Uh, it was, you know, we're doing everything at CES. Yeah. Uh, so we got to see them. We did a video. I talked about them. Uh, and I don't think I've given them another thought until you mentioned that that's what you've got. So I've been pretty excited. hope we get to listen to them at some point oh, today. Yeah. Uh, but what do you think of them? Well, when I first heard them was at that training, and... I'll never forget. I mean, like I say, it was the most impressive training I've ever experienced at Crutchfield. He put on a Count Basie cut that starts with just piano, drums, and stand-up bass. And these speakers, are it's a five-and-a-quarter-inch driver. They're tiny little speakers. Yeah. And as soon as the cut started, the stand-up, you know, I was five seats back, and I just sat back in my chair because the bass was so powerful the the sound of the stand-up bass was so powerful you could hear the whiny sound when he went up on the strings a little bit you could hear when he hit a low note the you know sound mm -hmm. of the stand-up bass and i looked around the room to see if i was just hallucinating and everybody in the room, you could see, was disturbed and sitting back. And, of course, as soon as the cut was over, somebody goes, all right, where's the subwoofer? And Andrew says, no sub. 
no sub. That's just those speakers. And we got, are you kidding? He goes, now, of course, we got speaker cables the size of a garden hose going to those sure. things. But that's just that speaker right there, you know. And so it's been in the back of my mind. I need to get a set of those. And um, whenever I get new speakers at home, I set them up and break them in here. You know, I just take my other speakers down and put these up. And I stuck them there. And usually when I listen to a set of speakers, after a day or two, I start missing my old speakers because you know, they're so great. I listen to the Karinas for a week without ever having that enter my head at all. And the, the normal speakers are huge towers. Big, imagine T3, you know. Yeah. Expensive, gigantic speakers with huge bass response. There's something about those Karinas that, you know, they're not hitting that lowest octave, but what they're doing right above that lowest octave is so strong that it just satisfies your Jones, you know, yeah. is what it does. And and the, it's got one of those, I guess, ribbon tweeters or whatever you call them, you know, that... The folded motion? Yeah, yeah. Yep. And it and the upper end of it is just beautiful. And I, I'll be honest, you know, I'm old. The reason I bought them is because I went down and listened to them later that day, put some stuff in that I knew and sat right in the front row and listened. And at a low volume, I think they're the best sounding speaker I've ever heard. And I still think that, you know, they sound awesome down low mm -hmm. and sooner or later I'm going to be in downsizing and I'm going to need speakers that I like that I can play at a lower volume over yeah. there and, and that's your office system which yeah. is kind of funny because we're they're literally 10 feet away from this massive two channel system we're sitting and looking at uh, from the couch here but your desk your work from home desk is here and your bookshelves are there so how do you play music on those like what's your source over there is it a CD player a yeah, computer a, what, you, what do you, what it, do you no, use no it's a, a Blu-ray player okay. an LG Blu-ray player that I picked up that's really pretty nice well a blu-ray player makes a good cd player yeah, yeah. As, just as a rule uh and uh so i was trying to find uh, i know you've written a bunch of songs you've been in a bunch of bands is your music available on digital platforms because no. I, I didn't find it at all no why not because i'm lazy and also i just don't care yeah you know, i i I just, um, I don't listen to music on a digital platform in any way. I don't stream music in any way. And when I hear artist after artist saying, you know, I, I read an interview with John Hyatt who said, I used to make enough in royalties, so I would just play gigs that I wanted to play. Now I make a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks a year in royalties because those people just don't pay. Yeah. And uh, so I, I don't want to participate in a system like that, you know, I just, and I don't know if they're all like that. I mean, that but, seems to be the norm. Yeah. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the counter to your point on this one, because I've been a Spotify user since Spotify was uh, beta testing. Uh, so I'm all in. Like, it's my main way of listening. You're always right in on the new technology. Though, uh, well, you know. radio man. And, uh, it's yeah. so convenient. Yeah. It's every single song, except for yours, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> that I could possibly want to listen to. And uh, I can listen to it anywhere, any way I want, on any speaker I want, pretty much. It's So it's so convenient. Uh, and uh, I, I gladly pay the 15 bucks a month for the premium, family plan, multiple streams, etc. Uh, and I've said it publicly many times, I would gladly pay double what I'm paying now 
especially if that money, if I knew it went to the artist. Because I get that side of it. As an artist, I, my bands have music on Spotify. We have made pretty much jack spit from it. So yeah. uh, it's just a, it, it makes me feel good as a Spotify user to say, yeah, you can go listen to my music out there. It's on all of the streaming platforms. Uh, but you don't care. Yeah, I just, I don't know. And, you know, part of it is also just I'm a Luddite at heart. I, I They ask for passwords and do this and do that and then <laughs> take your device and do this. And I finally <laughs> said, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to do this. It's too no. much work. <laughs> I've got a CD. I'm going to put it in and just yeah. listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. So uh, you have what I'm gathering is a... Uh, is it a love-hate relationship with our employee store? Because uh, from what I hear, you're there a lot. I love that place. If if And for the listeners at home, yeah. the employee store, we've done an episode about the employee store with Simon, uh, who is one of the main one of the main guys over there. Uh, but this is a place in one of our warehouses where all of the products that are not going to get sold back to customers that we can't send back to the vendor for any kind of credit, uh, but it still works, right? At varying degrees of it still works and are they discontinued or sometimes we find old stuff that we've lost in the warehouse and we find it and we can't sell it, so we sell it there. And it's a wonderful thing for employees that take advantage of it and some occasionally go over there. Some have never bought from the employee store, um, but you might be one of their number one customers. I'm, I'm wagering I am the number one customer, and I would not have gone anywhere near this far if it weren't for those guys over there. I mean, and when, when it was really great because before they sort of formalized the thing and, and made it available to more people, and I was literally one of 10 people maybe coming in there, they would just call me up and say, hey, we got we got this over. You want to come take a look? Yeah. And I'd say, absolutely, I'll be right over, you know. But And then they would go, trust me, give yeah. it a month. Yeah. You're going to love it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so you know that Eric is our co-host, uh, and uh, Eric takes a lot of the credit for how much stuff you've purchased from the employee store because he helped Dave start the employee store. So, uh, And he, he deserves all the credit, too. And, <laughs> and he was... A particularly bad enabler, like I, he would kind of grab me and take me back to the back and say, "Look, yeah. look, look, look at this! Oh yeah. my god!" And also, he's a user, so he had already tried the stuff mm -hmm. at home, and it works fine. He just it doesn't quite fit his system or whatever. So, so yeah, I I snagged a few, quite a few things that he had recommended, you know. And I and I think you actually snagged things like out from under him. The, at least once. Yeah. Yeah. To, for his displeasure, yeah. Right. Something he had had his eye on, but somehow you ended up with it. So I, uh, my, one of my last questions on my list here is, are, are you are you done? Like, you good, you good now? You got a system you're happy with and you're finished upgrading? I think I am. Uh, I think the only thing that I might do, just because I heard it done and I thought it was awesome, is buy another power amp. And bridge them both to mono, you know, and run one speaker with one and one speaker with the other. Yeah. Well, if you did that with these ELAC, uh, the DPA2s, you'd have six or 700 watts oh, yeah. per speaker. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Because what, what impedance are these funky speakers here? I think they're around six, but, you know, I, he never really told me. And with okay. this amp, it doesn't make any difference, really. Right. It, no, it, that amp is, yeah. uh, I mean... 210 watts at 8 ohms. Yeah. So uh, anything lower impedance than that, you're going to get even more wattage out of that ELAC. But 
Yeah, that's a that's a lot of juice. I mean, that's more power than most people are putting to their speakers in most situations. I'm getting a new cartridge. That's one thing I'm getting. That's that'll be I think my last major purchase. I'm getting a Samico Starling low because that cartridge is I think about 15 years old. And uh-huh. It seems to be fine, but um, you know I just I don't want to damage my records, and I figure most of the audio detectives that come over go. Yeah, you need to do that sometime pretty soon. Right. Um, so I asked you if you're done. You're like, pretty much, but here's the next two things I'm, gonna, yeah, I'm right. thinking <laughs> about. Another amp and a new cartridge. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and so if you're done, I mean, you're just you're not going to go back to the employee store anymore. You're, uh, you're done. Well, <laughs> yeah, you know. But, <laughs> and on the other hand, I'm always looking out for my youngest daughter, who's, yeah. who's going to get in, you know, she's in Hawaii now, but she'll be coming back and getting an apartment. And she's going to need a nice system there. So, you know, I'm always kind of looking for stuff for her. Spreading but, the love around. But, you know, before I was on a mission, I'm no longer on a mission. I'm, I'm very happy with uh, okay. what's here. And, um, you know, I could never make another edition be totally fine. But I probably will. Charlie, thank you for doing this, man. Thank you, man. It was fun. All right, so that's Charlie Pasterfield, Crutchfield legend, Charlottesville music legend, Steely Dan lover. Uh, That's all right. I like him anyway. Yeah, he's still a good guy. Uh, I, I happen to notice... Uh, that uh, you uh, your ears perked up when we started talking about the employee store in that interview. Oh yes, yes, my old uh, my old stomping ground. Yeah, and it seems like you and Charlie sort of uh, are vying for who has bought more stuff from the employee store. Yeah, he I, at this point he's winning uh, that for sure. Yeah. But uh, how, you know. how many Macintosh pieces do you have at your house? So now that's just low blow right oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's not in the cards for me right now. Maybe someday. Uh, we're about to wrap this thing up, but we wanted to start doing something kind of fun here at the end of each show because we have so many reviews from customers on our products. Right. And it's such a wealth of of it, entertainment, actually, mm-hmm. to read through the reviews. Many of them extremely well written, uh, well thought out. Uh, love them. Uh, many of the customers are now uploading photos of their gear, which is so cool to be able to see the end result of our work right. here at Crutchfield, to see people's home speakers their car stereos, amplifiers, and subs, all of that stuff. And some of these reviews are also really fun to read. Mm-hmm. I love it when they show their passion. Yeah. You know, they can come through a couple different ways. This one review we're going to read today, it's on a powered subwoofer. It is an SVS powered Ooh. sub. Yeah. Yeah. Those are those don't come small. No. <laughs> those no, the... this is the SVS PB2000 Pro. So okay. it's not even the biggest oh, SVS cer- sub. No, certainly not. But still, they absolutely pound but like pound in a good way yeah yeah unless you're uh unless you're not into it and i don't think this customer's wife is all of that into it uh john from boise idaho says about the svs this sub is freaking sick I am not a tech-savvy guy who is going to talk hertz, decibels, lows, or highs. All I know is the wife is not happy. She yells at me for stuff falling off the walls and the whole house shaking all over the place, and it's set up out in the garage. Two thumbs up here. Uh, 
<laughs> two thumbs up after that. That's right. That's, oh, that's what he says. Wow. That's part of the review. I love this review. Hey, I'm glad he is happy with it. We do encourage that kind of behavior here. Let's be honest. We, I mean, we, we fuel that fire for yeah, sure. Absolutely. Because, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, subwoofers make the world go round as far as we're concerned. They do. You know what's better than hearing music? Feeling it, baby. That's right. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. We're having fun getting back into the studio and getting rolling with season three. We'll continue to uh, be taking our Crutchfield live broadcasts and turning those into podcasts, as well as coming up with some podcast original stuff. We've done some really fun interviews. And again, we're working towards interviewing Bill Crutchfield. So keep telling people about this show. Uh, go to crutchfield.com slash podcast for all the information you could possibly want. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Uh, with another episode here pretty soon.